Have you ever gone out to a table that has requested something and just said, no, we're uh, not doing that. Get out of here. <laughs> That's life is trying to figure out how to keep from going insane, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the must. So we do mustard and marmalade right now, and there's about a million of each on, on the market, right? Mm-hmm. But did you sense that butt coming? I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. Thanks for being a part of the show. This time around, I'm talking with uh, a couple of old pals, as they describe themselves, Ben Skinner and Chris Barton. They got to know each other years and years and years and years ago here in La Crosse, working in the restaurant scene, and they've been friends ever since. Uh, They've both worked together and separately in Seattle, and then they sort of got fed up with restaurants and decided to come up with a, a little thing called Paulin's Provisions. And the uh, concept is you can have restaurant-quality food in a jar. And I've tasted their stuff, and they are right. So we're going to talk about Paulin's provisions. We're going to talk about their history. We're going to talk about a lot of things, actually. And eventually, we'll get to Paulin's provisions, I promise. So stick around. There's more to come with Chris and Ben from Paulin's Provisions on Around River City. Let's get right back to the show. We should probably get down to business, huh? Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, I'm Ben Skinner, one of the owners of Paulin's Provisions, uh, born and raised in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I left in 2004 to go to college in Minneapolis. Um, cooked the whole time, cooked here in town. I used to cook at like Buzzard Billy's and Huck Finn's and okay. the Boat Club. Petty Boat Club was my first job oh. with Chris. We were both dishwashers. <laughs> yeah, way back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I got a degree in anthropology, my archaeology, and have never used it. It's very dusty, but was cooking yeah. the whole time in college and then got promoted to chef. Chris and I decided to move to Seattle, and we were in Seattle for the last 11 years, and we just moved back. All right, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, we kind of got half your story, but yeah. <laughs> what did Ben? What did Ben leave out? Yeah, my story is really uh, much the same. You know, Ben and I have known each other since we were nine or ten years old. So, best friends forever. We've uh, worked together on and off that entire time. You know, like you said, our first jobs ever were dishwashers at the Pettibone Bow Club, mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of just. Went from there. We moved to Minneapolis together, moved to Seattle together, kept getting each other jobs. Um, I went really back of house chef route. We're restaurant guys, yeah. primarily. We started doing shelf-stable stuff probably four or five years ago, kind of right before right, the pandemic yeah. during it. And that's that's Paulin's provisions, that's right? Shelf-stable stuff. Yes, yeah, okay. condiments, sauces, yeah. Uh, things like that. Pickles, yeah. yeah but yeah. we've been restaurant guys for yeah. 20 years. And our paths diverged when we went to Seattle. So, like, Chris and I started out as both back-of-house kitchen guys, right? Yeah. Like, we were washing dishes at the boat club, uh, you know, working at Buzzer Billy's, working at Huck Fins. The first time we encountered anybody who had, like, actual training, culinary training, mm-hmm. who was from the old, which is, I think, now defunct, Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School. Um, but we had this Really? Water. That's defunct now? I think so. I don't oh, know. They, okay. uh, yeah, that's a good. They, there's something. There were some issues with that. I know okay. there were some issues. But regardless, um, the first guy that we ever encountered that had any training was at Huck Fins on the water in, like, 2002 or three, And he taught us a lot of basics, right? And then we went to... Um, yeah, legit dude. Good le- chef. Yeah, so that's kind of where he got he got us interested in food, right? It was that guy. Because before that, I was just like, you know, they trained me what to do, exactly how to do it, and that's what I do. I'm not okay. questioning... It wasn't a passion at the time? No, it was just, it was just something to do. It was a job. It okay. was just a paycheck. It didn't really become a passion until 
we met this guy, honestly, because yeah. that's when we got oh, into yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Initially, not a passion. Yeah. So, it, do you want to thank him or curse him? <laughs> <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> He's a great dude. Um, he was the chef at Kalina Mariana years oh, ago yeah. when yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Barb Lee's opened that. And we actually worked for him for the summer uh, after our first year of college. And then. I think he's in Colorado now. He was at Red Pines for yeah. a while. I don't know where else. But um, but that was where we really got into cooking. And then uh, Chris really, like in Minneapolis, it was always more of a job for me just to pay the bills. Um, Chris ended up getting hired at uh, a really cool place in Minneapolis called Picosa, which like seemed to be where you started to get further into the for culture. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and like learning about it. And then I encountered this guy with a great name, uh, best chef name ever. His name is Pete Macaroni. <laughs> and he was the chef of a place. I bet he insisted you call him pasta. Yeah. He, he didn't like the nickname so much, but um, he's Sicilian. He's Sicilian. He's, okay. He had a cool background. He was like from DC, raised in New York. I think he had a degree from the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. Really sharp guy, super smart. Like probably one of the smartest cooks I've ever met in my life. And he hired me. Because he needed a body. And he admitted to me later, he's like, I really didn't think you were that good when you came in to do your stodge. A stodge, by the way, is when you kind of like well, work for free and display we your skills. Okay. And we that's, weren't, yeah, we weren't. Truly weren't good. Is know? that where they, where they ask, where they tell you to like make me an omelet? Totally, yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Make yeah. a dish, display your knife skills. Free labor. Well, it was back in the day. I don't yeah, know if they do that anymore. Away, yeah, but, but, okay. that's, but he, he hired me and he was awesome. And then Chris and I, you know, like eventually Chris got to meet him and we both ended up working for him at a restaurant that we helped open called King's Wine Bar, which isn't there anymore. I think it's like a brewery now. But um, that was where Chris and I kind of really started to get even deeper into it. Both of us ended up becoming chefs of this restaurant. After Pete left, he became a chocolatier. Mm. And that was, we were like 23, 24 years old. That's my first management uh, experience in a restaurant. Probably Chris's, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. But um, that was where I feel like, I personally made the decision to embrace restaurant life culture. I had graduated from school at that, at that point. It was 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. 2010. So difficult years as far yeah, as like yeah. getting job, getting into the job market. Right. Um, but restaurant culture was fun. We made a lot, we made a lot more money than like most of our friends who had quote unquote office jobs. And then we, uh, I don't know. I mean, like it was a lot of work. We had to work like 80 hours a week, mm -hmm. but oh yeah, it was fun. I'm, I'm thinking of, the book Kitchen Confidential and the Anthony <laughs> Bourdain horror stories of working yeah, in the yeah. kitchen. And I've got to tell you, after I read that book, uh, I understand the love of getting into it sure. and the passion and the craziness of it. But man, what makes you stick around in the, it is so high pressure. It is. It's grueling. It's grueling work. It's, you don't, you know, you don't go into it to get rich. No, no. It, you do have to have a passion for it. Kitchen yeah. Confidential is one of my favorite books ever. Yeah. And we kind of came in on the tail end of that whole culture, Kitchen yeah. Confidential type culture. We read that book in probably started, 203 when we started. That started to change kind of around 2010, but yeah. really kitchens were like that for a very, very long time. Yeah. yeah. And not all just the bad ways. I mean, it was... I mean, it was, there were a lot of bad things. Sure. It just yeah. very, I mean, that's, we have that's so many stories if you want to get. <laughs> you know, you when know. you guys said that you both started as dishwashers, I was going to say, are yeah. there any dishwasher horror stories out there? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you my first We'll, day. we'll delete the names, yeah. sure, any names, sure. but I want a horror story. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I can tell you kind of like a funny one, like my very first day ever on the job, like green as heck. I'm 15. I think I was, I carried papers for the Tribune before this maybe, but that was okay. it. 
day one, the guy who's there is really surly. It's just me and this one other guy who's like a cook. It's kind of slow. I think it's like a lunch shift. He I think some, I know where this is going. Yeah, some other guy shows up who I've, I don't know anybody here who gives a small bag of something to oh. the cook who's there. Um, the cook explains to me that it is some sort of opioid, um, and then immediately does all of it. And, okay. and, and then I'm I just, he's like, he's just like really messed up on this shit. This is like my first shift ever. Yeah. Like this is straight out of kitchen confidential. Like the guy's doing like morphine on the job. He at one point was like smoking cigarettes, he's smoking cigs right over, the right over the grill, oh. right over the grill, man. And like, I remember like also being really shocked, um, like, I wanted a break at one point. I was like, what do I got to do to get a break? Do you smoke cigarettes? No, I'm 15. All right, well, no break. And I was like, okay, well, can somebody give me a cigarette? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's how I started sm- I mean, this is the kind of like, it was Wild West stuff. Honestly, yeah, it really almost, was. Almost yeah. every cook I know who's worked for me, I've worked with for blah, blah, blah. That's the almost to a T, that's how they started smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Yep. Which like, always ab- break. amazes me because it, it kind of f***s up your taste buds. It does. It really does. I, it always it surprises me that chefs would smoke for that reason, but it doesn't surprise me because of the stress. See, that's the other thing, though, is almost a lot of cooks smoke. Almost every good, sh- actually, probably, literally every good chef I've ever worked for, once you hit a certain level, they always quit smoking Oh, for that reason. Okay. Okay. And I did the same thing. I smoked for years, 15 years probably, and then I quit, I don't know. This feels like it was 20 years ago, 2018, 17. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel like it was around there because I remember being surprised when you quit and impressed. And because yeah. it really does. <laughs> and you're still going? No, I so I also got off the cigarettes. I use like a, I use like a jewel, like an okay. electronic okay. delivery device, but um, way better than cigarettes. Boy, and, that sounds so cool. An yeah. electronic <laughs> delivery device. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people think it's sushi. So, sounds very sophisticated. Uh, all I know <laughs> is it, it just doesn't smell. And I feel like I, it's it's more convenient. Yeah, I yeah, wish. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I want to get off the nicotine. I'm, yeah. I'm trying, but yeah, like, but, whatever. But yeah. I mean, if you want to cook at a high level, <laughs> uh, you, re- yeah, you really yeah. shouldn't smoke. It's, it so, does. Are we allowed to yeah. cuss? Oh, I said f- already. Awesome. Okay. So. Yeah, it does f- up your taste buds. Yeah. Yeah. Just. What's yeah. your big horror story, Chris? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or pick one. Pick one of many. Pick, okay, horror story B. The horror story B. Yeah. yeah. Man, I don't even know. I mean, where? I got injury stories. You've got injury stories. Those are always bad and kind of fun to hear. Um, I, I want the... Yeah, I did. Well, okay. I mean, I guess an injury story. Ben's injury story trumps mine. His is insane. Yeah, mine's pretty we'll rough. After this, but I, <laughs> mine was I cut the tendon in my Ooh. thumb Ooh. Uh, and had to... I mean, I was out of work for, I think, six months after that. Months. It, it was sucked. Months. I mean, sliced right through my thumb. Okay. Uh, avocado, classic avocado. Uh Mishap. Oh. So, you know, you gotta you gotta hold them in your, your yeah, 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 yeah. This way, and, and went, your knives, I'm sure, were extremely sharp. Oh, ex- oh yeah, it went right through. I didn't even really feel it at first. Right. I couldn't tell, and then all of a sudden, I was just like, "Whoa, holy shit!" And like, literally, my thumb was just stuck in this position. And the the boss expected you in the next day. I'm sure. Uh, I, I pretty much, dude. Like, it really is. It really was like that. I mean, yeah. back in the day too, especially before COVID, it's like people like you didn't. Nobody called out sick, right? That's, that's not just, a thing. That's just right, how it right. was. Yep. yep. You know, especially coming from the Midwest, you're just like we don't do that. You power through. You power through. You power through. What was your injury? Oh, mine's ben? pretty bad. So I was. Um, Pretty young. I was still in high school. I won't say where I was working, um, <laughs> but I basically had a huge vat of hot oil, like oh, 400, boy. 450 degree oil. It spilled all, all right. over me. Oh, no. Yeah. And it basically just like 
it was one of these things where somebody had put it on a range, a gas range burner, and it had a handle. This big pot had a huge handle, but it was hanging off. Big no no. Um, I oh, wasn't being okay. they weren't being observant. I wasn't being observant enough when I went over there to. I was basically putting something away. The door hit the handle. I was bending over and it fell on me. Okay. So I went into shock. Uh, I had like wow. an eighty some percent of my right arm was burned. Oh like man, degree it was early, dude. He was in the burn ward in Madison for, for a month. For a month, yeah. So it was insane. Wow. Yeah, it was also keep. I want to tell. I just want to say it was like two thousand three when this happened. It was like opioid crisis was kind of just getting going. I was 17 years old. The hospital was pumping me full of oxycontin and morphine. Like they literally, when they, when they discharged me, they're like, you're going to take three 80 milligram oxys two times a day on top of like some oxycodone. It was insane what they were pumping me full of. Yeah, you got lucky that you didn't like that. I hated it. It made me sick. It made me feel dizzy. Well, that's it made me good. gross. That's I good. never liked yeah. it. Yeah. And um, I couldn't drive, right? That was another like restriction that I hated. And I was still living at home with my parents. And so I remember getting off those as soon as I could. And a lot of people thought I was going to be like totally traumatized. But I showed back up to school as soon as I can. I was making like obnoxious, dumb fart jokes in the back of the class. And everyone was like, oh, I guess it's fine. <laughs> so it was um, wow. a bad experience. It took years to recover. I had to wear a pressure garment for like three years, which is wow. like a sleeve wow. basically that it helps with the scarring. Yeah. And if you looked at my arm, you wouldn't be able to tell unless I pointed it out to you because yeah. it's, it's a really good recovery. So both of you had ha- have had injuries that could have had long-term effects. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and other horror stories. What is, I mean, a lot of people would have thought, screw it, I'm out of here. What, why did you stay in that industry? Yeah, I, that's a great question, you know. I think uh, that's honestly a tough question to answer. I mean, it just comes down to, I love, for me, I love the hospitality industry. Love it, always loved it, gonna love it until the day I die. And it's just a matter of, making people happy, giving them a good experience. It's, and the other thing about the, so it's one thing I've always loved is that it's immediate results, right? That's what I've loved about cooking immediate in restaurants feedback. my entire life. Immediate feedback. It's just, you know, if you did something well, you know, if you didn't do something well, and if you're a cook and you put a dish up in the window, you can look at the expressions on your comrades, like on your buddy's faces, just, the instant or do they approve of this job that I just put up in the window or not like that quick you know if you're if you're a front house person it's the customer tells you immediately what the feedback is so yeah yeah. it's good it's just it's you know the I'm a person that has like a lot of anxiety in my life and so restaurant work is so grueling and so busy that and you need to focus in and hone in uh, so hard for long such long periods of time that it just takes everything else away and all you're doing is focusing on the dish you're making there is like a rush right of like executing the big ticket rail getting everything out like living literally second to second yeah. minute to I, minute honestly I, I think it's probably like what it's like to be a musician and, and play in front of people you get into this flow stage i was gonna i was gonna use the word performance yeah. right mm-hmm. there's an element of that 100 mm-hmm. percent yeah. And you just, your mind is, you, when you can, and it's hard to get into those zones, but when it's so busy, you have no choice but to be in that zone. Yeah, it's either break down yeah. or keep going, right? And so that... And nothing else matters when you're in that zone. Yeah. Like you're just... And when you do that successfully, like that, that feels good. It's a rush, man. Like when you get yeah. through that and you do it well and everybody's humming, everybody's working together. Same thing from a front of house perspective, like... When I would, because I moved to the front of house, eventually started managing the front of house restaurants, and same thing. It was like instead of being in a kitchen, you're working a room, more performative probably even than being a chef, 
and oh, yeah. or at Probably. least in a different way, I suppose. Yeah, and maybe maybe as or slightly more emotionally taxing and just like mentally, it was exhausting. But it was also like. It felt good, and it probably did feel like when I would go home at night at like one or two in the morning, and be like, "Did I just play a show?" It felt like I just played a show for yeah. people. I, I think it, I don't know that it is even kind of like a show. I think it was a show. It is. I mean, yeah, it's true. Yeah. People are yeah. there for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To fill their belly might be third or fourth on that list, right? Of yeah, the 100%. reasons why they're there. Yeah, it's an experience, right? And people pay good money to go yeah. out and have that yeah. experience, especially if it's an open kitchen. Even more of a show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I just want to ask, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Have you ever gone out to a table that has requested something and just said, no, we're uh, not doing that. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I personally uh, have not. Have you? Yes, we were the chefs. And I think you were there for this. There was a couple there who kept ordering like over medium eggs and just kept sending them back to me. And at one point, I just went out, because I, and I had, like, this is so dumb of me. I wish I never would have done this. <laughs> but I went out there with, like, I don't know, the new professional chef or, like, LaRouche Gastronomique, something that, some, like, encyclopedia style <laughs> book oh, that had, yeah, like, dude, this the actual definition of what the eggs were. And I was like, so what you want is actually over easy. So you want to ask for over easy eggs, not over medium eggs. And it was kind of, like, it's very condescending. Of, yeah. I'm, like, 23. These people are for sure, like, I, sh- I was just disrespectful and condescending to be honest and, I was, and they were like not happy as they shouldn't have been whoever was waiting on them had to deal with the fallout of that because you know i just went back to you the just kitchen. turn around yeah but i but i but i got those eggs sent back to me like two or three times and finally i was like i'm just gonna go out there <laughs> and, talk. and that was a bad was stupid that yeah. should not have happened and did I you keep your now. job yeah i was the chef man i mean i was the boss basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the owners, great example yeah, well, <laughs> the owners didn't know what they were doing at that restaurant they were not restaurant people okay. so they were super hands-off there's like above me in the kitchen there was nobody and I, I don't know what was going on in the front of the house at that restaurant no idea but um that attitude of mine i think greatly changed when we got to seattle around 2010 when the culture did change and you know that's i would never behave that way now but okay. as a grumpy, surly cook who's, you know. Yeah, that's a maturity thing. And yeah. that is a, a culture change thing for it's sure. It's a bit of both, I think. You know, that yeah. guy, Eric Johnson, who I worked for in Seattle at uh, this restaurant called Stateside, he is, his pedigree is insane. He was in, he worked in Paris, Shanghai for Jean Georges Van Gerichten, Daniel Ballou in New York, like Michelin star craziness. Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff. I mean, he would tell stories like that all the time. That, that was very common. And this guy is an insanely good chef, but his whole policy was like, well, we'll do literally whatever you want. Like he just was the Mm. most humble guy. And he was like, when he was younger, I think he was like that. He'd go out to the dining room and just be like, this is what I'm, this is what you're getting. Like, but that whole thing just has really changed. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they pay the bills, whatever they want, we're going to give them. Well, I I think I told you guys last time we met when you were here with Mike Hayes on Cooley Region Cooks, my chef hero is uh, Thomas Keller. Yep. Fre- I, oh, I love French Keller. French Laundry. And mm-hmm. I've read several times where, I mean, and he does this amazing, multi, he does these multi-course price yep. fix meals. And he says, the best compliment you can give me is to just say it was delicious. Yep. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. So we're going to talk, uh, we're going to get to Paulin's provisions. Sure. And how you guys have uh, taken all of your passion and moved it into these products. Uh, we'll get to that eventually, but I, I still want to talk more restaurant crazy sure. stories. And yeah, I want to talk, man, I want to talk, guys, I want to talk Seattle a little bit when we come back. Okay. All right. Perfect. 
All right, let's get back to the show. Somehow you guys managed uh, to survive your injuries, uh, and then you ended up in one of the great hot spots of American cuisine, what, 20 years ago, I guess, is when they started coming up? Uh, Seattle? I think in the 90s it really started okay, so culinarily even, getting big. Uh, I yeah. still sometimes think the 90s were only 20 Dude, years I ago. I know, I know. <laughs> well, they were. 25 ish. But you, how did you get there? And you seemed to get there at a really good time. We did. Timing was interesting. Yeah, it was an awesome time. It was uh, on a whim. Yeah, we got there super randomly. Mm-hmm. You went together? Yep. Was it a joint decision? Sort of like, uh, so again, we were at this restaurant in Minneapolis. Chris was the sous chef. I was the head chef. Um, and we, I wasn't happy. I don't think you were happy. We were no, working we a were, lot. We were burnt out. Lowest paid chefs in Minneapolis, for sure. <laughs> um, but, but we, but we uh, I talked to a friend of mine who was living in Seattle, um, who I knew from working in restaurants in Minneapolis. And he was there. I, uh, I kind of joked, like, hey, maybe I should just move out there. And he was like, if you wanted to do that, I'd be willing to help you out so you get on your feet, whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. So I just went back to these guys, the crew at the restaurant, and was like, hey, I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to do it in like three or four months. Uh, Chris pretty quickly was like, I think I want to do that too. Were, have... were you married, either of you, or anything like that? No. no. Any, no. any attachment? 23 years old. Yeah. Okay. Ben got married when he was out there. I got married um, in Seattle. I'm divorced now, but yeah, I wasn't okay. at this time. I had no, really, no attachments. Nothing. I okay. had actually, I had just gotten out of a real long term four year relationship, and so that was another reason we were burnt the the hell out. We had just graduated college. I got out of mentally a super ill. long. <laughs> 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 I got out of a super long relationship, and so just we were just in a place where we were like, okay, we're fucking done. I was having this. drug and alcohol problems, you, you know? know, like all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. And we're like, let's move, let's just do it. Let's just start kind of clean slate. Head clean west, slate. yeah, clean slate, and see what happens. Clean slate. And, and Seattle it was. I had never been to Seattle. Me neither. Um, but when I was in... When I was younger, I always had kind of envisioned myself going there. Um, maybe it was like listening to grunge music growing up. But for right. some reason, right. it was just like... A, it seemed like a cool place to me. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And... Yeah, it really, was, the, Seattle really came to the forefront through music, and then I think the food followed... Maybe. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. I, if they, I don't know if they were connected, but it seems like that was the chronology. Such a unique city. When we showed up, it was under. It was going through a lot of growth. I mean, I don't know what it was like before we showed up, but when we did show up, it was a pretty calm, sleepy town. It was not a lot of traffic. It was pretty easy to get around, and rent was cheap. I mean, it was awesome mm-hmm. for the first couple of years. And you know, then, it's changed. It's changed a little. <laughs> oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, Amazon was in the middle of developing their huge campus in uh, the South Lake Union neighborhood of Seattle when we moved there. It wasn't built yet, so we got to experience kind of like okay. pre them expanding into all these buildings and having a huge, much larger footprint in the city. Um, and then by the end of it, it was like you know Google had offices there, Microsoft had offices there, um, you know a lot of video game companies, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of tech. But I would say, yeah, you know, like starting in the probably mid nineties, mid to late nineties, right? There's a couple of really good chefs there. Mm-hmm. Same thing throughout the two thousands, and then it just explodes yeah. in like twenty ten, and it's just an insane amount of phenomenal. Well, part of it too is that Kitchen Confidential thing. Like you had a bunch of kids who were probably our age or around our age reading books like that, and then all of a sudden, like being a chef became like a glorified job. Food Network, I think, had a lot yeah, to do right. with that yep. too. So, like, yeah, yeah getting because it was media, a blue collar shitty job for years it was never considered artistry like it is now like you were not yeah and now chefs are like celebrities right so um you also had a huge explosion of the job pool right like the employment pool the talent pool maybe even diluted but and you also had a lot of people like chris was saying earlier who really weren't fit for the industry but had maybe had like delusions of grandeur or thought being a chef was just like 
hanging out, making some, some dishes and not yeah. all the grueling, yeah. insane right. labor that you right. have to do with right. it. So, so what do you guys think? I, I'm curious what takes, how does a city like Seattle? And I, I think lacrosse is a good example on a much smaller scale, go from just being a city with some, you know, food to, to having a scene, that you know, is, what's, you know, be, be Seattle, what is it? What makes yep. it happen? Timing, I'm sure, is one thing, but of what? Generation, too. I think it's generational. This is such a good question, man, and so hard to nail down. I, I mean, timing is huge. got to be a lot of luck to it, but a, a, a generational thing, I think you're onto something there. What do you right? mean by that? So I think what happened in Seattle specifically was that you had craft beer, I think, is what started all oh, of it. Okay. Yeah. So craft beer was a big thing in the 80s, actually, in mm-hmm. Seattle. One of the, I actually worked for one of the first craft beer breweries in the city. It's called Big Time when I first moved there. Um, and so I think that kind of started it, right? People started to take it a little bit more seriously and look at it as more like artisanal. Um, Chris actually ended up working at this place called Zigzag Cafe, which did that place open in the 90s? I think it did. Yeah. yeah. And so that place was known as like a renowned, it's known mm-hmm. as kind of like the first craft cocktail spot. So I really think that it started oh. with libations and alcohol. Okay. And then I think from- As a lot of- yeah. Good and bad things do often yeah. start with alcohol. Right. <laughs> so for me, that's that's just from what I've gathered, my experiences and what I know. It's like I guess that's my theory is is, is okay. that's how it got from. Well, I would say so. So now I've been able to think kind of while you're talking, like for the generational thing. For for example, like everybody, lots of people from our generation were millennials, maybe elder millennials. Yeah, everyone from our generation moved out of wisconsin yeah like as soon as we could once we hit 18 19 20 and it went to places like seattle new york uh, austin texas we went to cities we could, right yeah. went to cities yeah. mm-hmm. but now it really seems like to take uh use lacrosse as an example like we i think tons of people from our generation are moving back now and you're starting to see the beginning of a scene really starting to percolate i think that's absolutely right part of the reason why we're back here yeah, we could feel that scene percolating from all the way over in Seattle, <laughs> and, and it is just uh, nothing against the people who were uh, creating great restaurant food. Like when I first moved here in the nineties, yeah, there yeah. just weren't as many, and I don't think I think everybody would agree the menus weren't as diverse. There wasn't right. a demand for it, and there wasn't yeah. a demand for it. Yeah. And now, well, that's another good question: what comes first, the demand or the 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 uh, the Ability to have it. Are they making it so we demand it, or do we demand it so they make it? Sometimes you have a like a fluke where somebody comes up with this really cool new idea that just attracts people, and then that becomes in demand. Uh, Like the example I used in Seattle was Nashville hot chicken didn't exist in Seattle before this restaurant that had opened up, and all of a sudden it was like the big thing, and everybody was obsessed with. So no demand. Yeah, I got huge. Yeah, zero demand until this one restaurant came in called Sisters and Brothers, which Chris was one of the chefs at, and the lines are on the block from day one, and it became huh. a craze, and now there's like a bunch of hot chicken places, right? So now there is demand, and now there's more places. So sometimes it works like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that somebody in Seattle would open up something other than a seafood restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm guessing there's probably many more seafood restaurants than there need to be in Seattle. There is for totally, sure. Totally. And I think that was also just kind of part of that explosion from 10, 2010 onward. You started to see yeah. tons of uh, different restaurants. Yeah. The diversification was insane. And I think so, you know, social media had something to do with it. I worked for a restaurant tour in Seattle named Tom Douglas, who st- opened his first restaurant in 89 and he, I think, got some James Beard nominations and whatnot. So that probably brought some more attention to the city. Um, so sometimes it takes like a like a pioneer type figure to start 
Yeah, that's a good start the whole scene yeah. off, and then it attracts other people. Like I know this guy, Tom. You know, people probably saw him at one point. I think he was on like Iron Chef, right, with right. his business yeah. partner. People saw that, and when I moved to Seattle, we, we met another guy at a restaurant we work with, and he had just moved there from Michigan. And I said, "Why'd you move to Seattle?" And he said, "Because I wanted to work for Tom Douglas." So sometimes you have that situation, right? Where right. Like a pioneer right. guy shows up. Yeah. Well, and I think I I could have this wrong, and and I know that I watched in the past a lot of Food Network, and I thought I heard that like Emeril Lagasse opened his NOLA restaurant mm-hmm. in New Orleans specifically in a bad kind of the warehouse district because he wanted to build up yeah. that area. And, Interesting. And, and yeah. That's what Minneapolis just is doing is if you go to the warehouse, like when we lived there, the warehouse district was literally just warehouses. A lot of them were empty, defunct, condemned. Now the warehouse district in Minneapolis is host to some breweries and restaurants, that kind yeah. of thing. Third Ward in Milwaukee. Is a great. I've heard of, I've heard of that. Oh man, yeah. you got to go I there. Really, been. You know, Chris and I, when we became chefs of that place in Minneapolis, got invited to this uh, place called Coastal Seafoods, which is just a seafood distributor there. Mm-hmm. We were dr- probably drinking all night. I mean, I remember yeah, similar I, story. I remember I was being extre- I was extremely hungover. It was like eight in the morning when they opened when they wanted to give us this tour. So Chris and I showed up, and the guys just like handing us raw pieces of fish at like the whole plant. <laughs> I don't like, again, Coolest I don't guys like ever it. and yeah. super quality product. Yeah. But we were hung over as fuck. And so yeah. we were not in the right mind. So I'm chowing down out of politeness, like all these like raw fish samples. And, and I'm just like, I'm going to barf all over this facility <laughs> and never be welcome to you ever again. We made it through, but yeah, I just like, that's my, it just reminded me of that. But well, well, when you're like choking down this raw like, tr- prawn and you're like, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sweating the alcohol out from the well, night before. Yeah. I think we're at another good breaking point because uh, we've come up to the end of your time in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And we're going to finally, uh, for everybody that's just wanted to hear a business plan, <laughs> we're going to get... Teaser. Uh, yes, we are going to get to Paulin's provisions uh, when we come back. Excellent. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Chris and Ben of Paulin's Provisions. I'm Ken Cooper. In this segment, we're going to talk about a lot of things, and I, I feel I should probably say that the views and opinions expressed in this segment reflect only the views and opinions of the three people having the conversation and not with anybody else. Let's get back to it. Wow. Yeah, we'd like pound beers in the shower and then go to somebody's house and party and yeah, show up uh, six hours later yeah, <laughs> to work, work. Work a brunch shift the next day. So Could you am. do that anymore if you wanted not to? Any, no, not <laughs> at all. No, dude. Are you kidding I me? do it then, no problem. Yeah. 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 Back then, I don't know how I did anything. I mean, it was uh, just so much debauchery <laughs> going on at that yeah, time. Yeah. So. yeah, I barely, I don't even really drink anymore. Like I, just, I don't drink yeah, at all. Yeah. I've, had, I've had enough of that. <laughs> yeah. Was... This this we don't have to put this part. I'm curious that both Keep of you not in. drinking much. Okay, yeah. Right. yeah. Both of you not <laughs> both of, you want, man. Yeah. You, both of you not drinking much. Is it? Uh, were you worried, or is it just it just sort of phased out of it, or was it a, a you know an alcoholism you thing? Saucing down it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so it's tough. I would say I wasn't necessarily worried. I've always been averse to like uh, labels, right, and like the whole AA thing, alcoholics. Mm-hmm. I. So, but I mean, there was a point where I was 
definitely drinking like fucking crazy. Like a fish. Every single you were, night. You were just saucing down. Every night. When it's yeah. working in restaurants, right? And so it did come to a point where I was like, okay, I got to stop. And I never, I just tried not to make it a thing, right? You know, didn't want to make it part of my identity, but I was like, yeah, I just, I'm done with this. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, after a while you get a little bit older. I'm 37 mm-hmm. now. 34, 35, and you're like, okay, I cannot keep doing this. Yeah, yeah, same for me, man. It was like you, I just like, I remember being in my early 30s and drinking like I used to in my 20s, and all of a sudden I had to go manage a restaurant, work a brunch shift, do some interviews, whatever it was, and being hungover for that long, and just not being able to do my job that well. Yeah. And also, I, to be honest with you, I'm a cannabis guy. I smoke marijuana. I think cannabis is the best. I prefer it to should, anything else. Should be legal. It, it should well, be legal. For it is, sure it, should it, be legal. It is in a lot of places. It will be here. Um, so everybody just needs to relax. It's all, it's all going to happen federally soon. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't smoke weed, but I would take weed over booze any day. Right. Day. And for me, it's just like that's always kind of been my my main thing <laughs> was uh, like and I was never a huge drinker. Like I partied pretty hard, like yeah. especially in my you know first half of my 20s. Um but yeah, just like for me, it was just kind of like, I'm just tired of it. Like it wasn't yeah. a conscious decision to stop. It was just like, no, thank you. All yeah. I just started <laughs> refusing it and I'll have a drink or a beer or a cocktail for, uh, from time to time. Uh, it's rare, but it'll happen. And, um, but most of the time I just want to smoke a dube. I don't know who said it, but it was a great quote. No war has ever been started by two people smoking pot. See, yeah. that's right. It's, it's like, like Bill Hicks's bit about, uh, yeah, yeah are you gonna see, alcohol. if you're, you're at a baseball game and people are really drunk, the people are fighting. People are they drunk or stoned? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they're yeah. probably not. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Probably, probably not stoned. Yep, exactly. You know, I think it's gonna uh, lacrosse. I think has a major, not an appetite, but like it seems like nobody cares. Like, just legalize it. What is this silly Delta eight nine? All this, I don't know right. what any of this stuff right. is. Right. It's time, man. Especially state. even from a guy who doesn't smoke weed. It's like, can we get over the weed? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. You're gonna people like, who want to do drugs are gonna get drugs. Now you can. Let yeah. the drug dealers take all of that money, or we can legalize it, tax it. We can get some of that revenue, give it to the police, give it to the schools. Like for me, it actually solves more problems than it creates if you legalize it. And I'm yeah. talking not about just cannabis. This is extremely probably not super popular in this area, but I think all drugs should be legal and regulated uh, for that exact reason because people are going to do them no matter what. Well, victimless, victimless crimes. Well, let's let's, if, let's if, not let the criminals get the money. Is all I'm yeah. saying. It's like there's going to be money flowing. Let's get it into the pockets of our of our people like you know so we can get higher teacher salaries and more right. school and or whatever fewer overdoses better oversight yeah dude like they're about yeah, to put narcan over the counter right. they're about to put they've narcan already over done the that. counter they've, but they've it's just like, done it uh, yeah yep. yeah it's like well okay guys we're all acknowledging that drug use is a thing that's never going away if we're like putting narcan yeah. over the counter and everything like, yeah it's not it's silly to think that it will go away mm-hmm. so let's figure out a way to live with it Right. safely and maybe even the state gets a little revenue from it. Right. And how many like we've tried the Nixon Reagan, you know, all that kind of like say no to Just drugs, say no. war on Clearly drugs. Clearly hasn't worked. It's failed. Drugs won the war and on all, drugs. Well, yeah. the, the whole thing with the pan, <laughs> the frying pan with the this is your brain yeah, yeah. and then Classic. the egg goes in this is your brain on drugs. All I remember thinking to myself, well, I like eggs. Yeah. <laughs> so Dude, I remember yeah. taking dare. Pretty good looking egg. Yeah. As yeah. an anthropologist, you might be aware mm-hmm. or and both of you would be interested there are theories out there now that human sentience and cognivity was sparked by the use of oh, hallucinogenic fully drugs. Agree, yeah. Fully yeah. agree. That, that is what gave us that, that next step. One of my professors actually taught that, theory, that concept honestly. in my evolutionary biology course in, in Minnesota, and that was his big thing. He's like, we got cannabinoid receptors, psilocybin receptors. Like, we evolved alongside these plants and consuming these plants. 
he thought it was where a lot of our like religious tendencies may have come from, artistic, music, all that stuff. Well, I've always thought our sentience and cognivity, cog- cognitivity, did I say that Cogn- right? Cognition. 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 Were sort of byproducts of that, or, 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 or what caused our need to believe in something. Right. Because we suddenly became aware that, oh shit, I'm not going to be here in a while. Right, right. And, and that's, that's a blessing, but it's a hell of a weight. And so in order to keep myself from going insane, I need to figure out a way to believe that I won't go away. It's, yes, well, and right. From, yeah, yeah, like that's the that's that's life is trying to figure out how to keep from going insane, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and not to get too like Aaron that's Rodgers. That's going into promo. Yeah. <laughs> and not to get too like Aaron Rodgers about it, but like the DMT, the ayahuasca stuff, like you shouldn't be ashamed if you want to check that out. And also you should be able to research it. We should see if it has benefits. Like there are other countries that research ayahuasca, DMT, that sort of thing where mm-hmm. It does wonders for addiction. There's a Russian study where they're getting alcoholics who have been drinking vodka their whole lives to to quit after a couple of sessions. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're seeing a renaissance of psychedelic medicine right now. I think we, especially in our society, we we tend to throw away the baby with the bathwater. So we we think that, like with... um, I remember when things started, uh, ferment, fermentation started to be cool again. Yeah, Yeah. Chris loves it. And and just because we used to think, oh... You know, but bacteria or all those things are bad for you. They're just, yeah. they're just bad. Yeah. But they're only like 5% are bad for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the actually the other 95% are actually necess- necessary. They're good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why people did it. So we tend, to, we tend to just say all of them are bad. Yeah. So. That's a hot take from two guys who put stuff in jars. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to those jars. <laughs> Great segue. Hey, hey, you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so you guys were in Seattle. Just a couple of, a few years ago. Yep. And then yep. you decided to move here. Mm-hmm. Were you, how did that happen? Were you disenchanted? Were you disenchanted with Seattle or the restaurant world? Did you plan on getting out of restaurants before you moved or what happened? Very good question. You want to kick this one off? Yeah. Uh, I, I would, yeah, I was disenchanted for yeah. sure. With um, the city, the scene, the the, the world the, of restaurants? All of the above. Uh, not, not necessarily the world of restaurants. The city, though, for sure, and the scene. Uh, it's really has started, I think, both the city and the restaurant scene started to take a dive during the pandemic for obvious reasons. Well, before that, the scene was saturated and bloated, right? Exactly. And, the and then when the pandemic the, hit, yeah. it just... Explode like imploded, yeah, yeah. imploded, yeah, yeah, right. Like yeah. so many places went out of business, and it just got sad. And in an already cutthroat environment where it's tough to survive, you know, yeah. with the saturation. We were just, uh, yeah, we were just. Uh, for me, I was just done with it. I was like, okay, I've been here for ten years. I'm tired. Things are getting weird. Like I'm just ready to move back home. My family's here, and like we talked about earlier, way at the beginning, it's like there's. Something happening here in lacrosse for sure, like, and it has been for the last few years, and it's continuing to. And like, I want to be a part. Yeah, of we that. want to be a part of that. We want to contribute to that in some way. Okay. And so, had you decided to sort of transfer your skills out of the restaurant kitchen and into the just the manufacturing I that, kitchen? I think that happened in a really interesting, organic way. It was really just like um, Chris experimenting with these recipes over the years and then literally us going to a company that we worked for and pitching the idea, being like, hey, you know, you guys make the salami. Uh, you know, we have an idea to do these shelf table provisions. It's like the idea is like everything we make, you could put on a charcuterie board, right? They're like, that sounds great. Um you get a tiny budget, basically no money, and you'll do it on your own time, but with our money. 
And that's how Chris kind of like researched and learned how to do it. Get every, like all the regulatory stuff he was working on. Whereas I was kind of just like trying to figure out the logistics end of it. Yeah. And I think going through that process with that other company, we learned that we liked doing it. It was fun. It's my favorite part of the job is yeah. hanging out and prepping and goofing and listening yeah. to music. We basically, it was one of those things where during the pandemic, like the company had to figure out ways to make money, right? This was kind of one of the pivots. After we did it for maybe a year, we we're like, okay, this is awesome. We were kind of thinking and planning on leaving. And when we uh, let the owners of the company know that, they're like, okay, great. Like without you guys, we're not going to continue to do this because this project is you. Right. Yeah. And they basically, so essentially they just gave us their blessing and they're like, yeah, if you go do your own thing, like, <laughs> yep. And um, we also like, because we were the ones managing the whole project and I was doing kind of the business, the accounting, the numbers, I started to think to myself, you know, this is not a cost prohibitive business to start. Whereas a restaurant is a store of some kind is as a huge part of it. So yeah. the big part of it for me was like, okay, Chris and I've always wanted to do something together. We always thought restaurant, right. But it was, I just thought like, this is a good way to start. We can do a restaurant later. Restaurants don't make money. They're not yeah. profitable. But, like, this could be, and this could help support, this could be, like, the launch pad for us to do other things. Like, we do want to have our wholesale business grow to the point where we can open a storefront or mm -hmm. do restaurants, uh, become right. more collaborative with the pop-up community. Well, it sounds like you guys get, you, you have a good concept of the big picture. Baby steps. Baby steps. Move, yep, moving yep, in certain For ways. sure. One thing at a time. So We're just two guys. <laughs> I have had the pleasure of tasting a, a couple of your items. Are you making the two things? I, when yep. you were here for Cooley Region Cooks, you had a couple of items. One of them was the plum mustard. Plum mustard. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't know which one of you created that, but I want to ask you. And I'm, I'm trying to be polite here. Sure. Hey, get, lay it on me. Give it to me. What the hell does the world need with another mustard? <laughs> <laughs> with that said, it was phenomenal yeah you know that's the thing these all these products is yeah the must so we do mustard and marmalade right now and there's about a million of each on on the market right mm -hmm. but there doesn't i'm just gonna be honest here 90 percent of them are not very good right and right the thing about, and they're all the same they're all the same and it doesn't like it's canned food it's shelf stable food but canned food can be good it can be exciting it should be tasty it should be fun there's no reason it shouldn't be the reason mostly that it isn't is profit motive and economics right these companies just they don't do it they could do it like you can get restaurant quality food in a jar yeah mm -hmm. and that's what we want to do and there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do you can do that companies just aren't doing it right the profit motive thing and the other thing is too like again the marmalade this marmalade in particular i've never found a good one honestly like we talked about that yeah. i i've always avoided like the classic british marmalades yeah um the because the, there's a rind a bit of the orange rind in the marmalade maybe yeah. it's a little bitter it yeah. had it it had a to me an off-putting feel it was just kind of chewy and toothy yeah toothy yeah, toothy. Yep. toothy is a good word yeah whereas yours it was melty yep yep the texture is a lot different from ours um it has a lot to do with sugar content and that's yeah. a honestly i'm sure that's another economic motive right because the way we cook is that that process takes basically six hours from start to finish for a single batch of marmalade it's yeah. a very long time so these huge companies just aren't going to do that and yeah, and even but to us, because we're restaurant guys, it's like this is it's either quality or it's not. And if we can't do it quality, we're not going to do it. And we're also confident that we could do this uh, with a affordable price point, not be prohibitive. And like, again, with the with the mustard and the marmalade, the other thing that I think we're trying to get better about with our business is trying to 
demonstrate that you can do a lot with these things. These are versatile products and not just condiments to be spread on things. Mm -hmm. Like the mustard can be used as a base in sauces, pan sauces, vinaigrettes, uh, barbecue. You know, the mustard or the marmalade can be, you know, made into like an Asian orange uh, chicken style sauce. Um, Using baking, uh, all kinds of stuff, right? Your mustard is wonderful with Brussels sprouts. We talked about doing that. I do this braised Brussels sprouts with white wine, and it's normally finished with some Dijon. Yeah. And using your mustard is just You mentioned that to us last time, and I actually made that last week. Oh, cool. And it was really good. You tried it out. I did. I made it at home. Yeah, it was great. Because I didn't think about, like, putting it with the Brussels sprouts, the braised Brussels sprouts. That's a great idea. Why wouldn't that be good? Yeah. I thought about all the flavors in it, you know, and I was like, this is going to be great. When you think of, uh, this is one thing I tried with marmalade was a lot there's this classic like brussels sprout dish where it's like bacon walnut and maple syrup so i just replaced the maple syrup with a little bit of orange marmalade oh yeah it's pretty good yeah yeah. so like a lot of that kind of stuff um like using it as a substitute for some other sort of jam and anything like again i think it's on us to demonstrate the versatility of it and we need to get better at that um and we are doing it but um the the world the world doesn't need more shit it doesn't need more products what it needs (laughs) is guys like us who want to make quality products and who, if we get successful, can demonstrate that you can run a successful business without being a greedy piece of shit. Like that's, I think at the end of the day, what we yep. really want to get to is like, you can pay people. Well, every job I've ever had where the culture is good has been a successful company. You know what I mean? Like where the culture is good and people are autonomous and they can have a collaborative environment. Like it's just me and Chris now, but if we grow, we can make this thing bigger when you grow, when we grow. Well, yeah, that's, that's like, Long term, again, we have these baby steps. It starts yeah. with the jars, yeah. stuff in jars. It goes to a storefront. Maybe from there it goes to a larger manufacturing. We also co-pack, which we have no co-packing accounts, but we have the capability to do so. Yeah. So, I mean. That means you'll, you'll package other people's yeah, stuff? Yeah, you got a barbecue yeah. sauce, we'll put yeah. it in a jar. Okay. You know, whatever okay. it is, hot sauce, whatever it is, we'll do it. Yeah. So, um, But ultimately, I think, like, Chris and I, Chris and I have skills, certain skills and abilities. Like we can cook, we can make good stuff. We're actually not super dumb, and we <laughs> surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly, we're not stupid. Okay, I'm gonna um, have to go back and listen to this podcast yeah, to see I if I can shit, confirm right? that. But, uh, <laughs> maybe a lot of brain damage for sure, but I wouldn't say we're unintelligent. But we just feel like we have like like we got stuff to contribute to at least the local society here, at least like the local scene. And for us, it's not about like let's make. Dude, you know. it's just quality and yeah. treating people well is the be-all, end-all of the whole You do that, we, uh, that's our philosophy. If you do that, we think we can be successful. Yeah. So that's what we're trying. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you have a list of priorities, where does Let's Get Rich fall on that list? Oh, oh, fucking bottom of it, dude. I, literally, yeah. and that's not even like a, uh, I want to say this to like be... It says, I don't. I want to survive. I want to make enough to survive. I can make forty five thousand a year doing this. Yeah. I would be great to good I'm to not, go. I'm not in this. To get I'm not rich, even making dude. close to that yet, to be honest with you. But I that I hit that number. Good to go, man. I want to. Like, yeah, and like like ultimately for me, big goal would be to able be able to provide jobs and careers to people um, with like flexibility. You know, like. To move away from kind of like the corporate nightmare that we all, this hellscape that we kind of live in now. It's like a soul-sucking, fucking awful environment where how do you, everyone... How do you really feel? Hey, man. One thing, I'm a little blunt. You'll, you'll Yeah, that's learn. good. That's good. But, that's um, good. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I, if you go to our website, even, that's like on our website. It's like, we just want to create like a non-soul-sucking, non-shitty place to work in addition to... Being flexible, being cool, being relaxed. Like, uh, th- I got, that's our whole vibe. Like, if you came to us and said, I want some catering, we'd be like, what do you want? Not, here's what our offerings are. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's all about just trying to, like, this just sounds so cheesy and stupid, but, like, yeah, we do want to serve this community. Like, we care about this community. We care about this city. That's why we came back, right? We went out, we learned what we could. Now we're bringing the skills, the knowledge back. 
And hopefully we can like, hopefully we can get successful enough. We can demonstrate the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not a, this is not a business podcast and I, I, I'm not into the whole business side, the business plan. I wouldn't understand it if you tell me, Mm -hmm. um, but that's just sort of a necessary evil, I guess. Uh, you're self-taught on that, or do you have some self-taught. help? Self-taught. I did my self-taught. first. We did our first business plan together in Minneapolis with Pete Macaroni, the chef we huh. mentioned. We, us three, uh, worked on it when we had time together and actually got to the point where we were looking at restaurant spaces. And we got so far in that process that one of the guys who owned a spot actually offered it to us. Hmm. It was a Tin Pan Alley was the name of this restaurant concept. It was kind of a fun concept. So that was where we wrote our first one. Um, I think I wrote a second one for uh, like a burger concept we had in Seattle that we pitched and did sell tentatively, but then the pandemic happened. So that got kiboshed. And then, um, I don't know. This third one was just easy and natural because I'd done a few before. But yes, okay. fully self-taught. I, mean, I think like most things, yeah. you can be self-taught if yeah. you put enough time. No, no schooling or training it. on how to do it. And, you know, I don't know. I just taught myself how to do like some simple arithmetic yeah. too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, pretty, yeah, you yeah. Still, I, think so, I think a lot of people who are passionate about something and go into a business forget about the math part. The oh, math yeah. sucks, but you have to have a guy like me who does all that shit. So like Chris doesn't have to deal with it, doesn't want yeah. to deal with it. Yeah, I was going to say, guy, you, you know. two seem to understand each other's strengths. Oh, we're complimentary. Sure. Uh, and that goes back to us knowing each other since we were 10. Like, right. We're, we're best friends. We we're brothers. At this we point, can communicate really. without speaking, like just by facial expressions. Um, we don't need, you know, it's, it's that level of like yeah. brotherhood. Um, and so, we know each other's roles. Like, yeah. 100%. Like Chris, Chris is like, uh, the guy who develops the products, the guy who does the quality, the guy who comes up with like, uh, you know, like logistically how we're going to execute the things, the food safety, the regulations, I do everything else. I do like the logistics, the deliveries, the accounting. And I like doing that stuff. Yeah. He likes doing the other stuff. And yeah, I don't I like doing what he does. And he doesn't like doing what I do. <laughs> so it works out perfectly. So, all right, let's get right down to it. Where can we, how do we find your products? What do we look for? Yeah. And where? So, yeah, so yeah. we're right now, we're really focusing primarily wholesale. So, you know, in the lacrosse area, you can get us at Woodman's uh, People's Food Co-op. Larson's General Store downtown. Drift Mercantile. Drift Shoebies. Mercantile downtown. And the right. names Shoebies. of your two products, do they both say Pollen's yep. Provisions? So both Pollen's Provisions. Uh, it's a nice kind of like bright orange label. For and, the marmalade. Uh, for the marmalade, like a bright kind of purple label for the, the plum mustard. Plum colored, if yeah, you will. Plum colored, if you will. Uh, yeah, Pollen's Provisions Plum Mustard and Pollen's Provisions Orange Marmalade. You can usually find us in the condiment aisles. Sometimes they'll put us in deli area. Yep. Um, but yeah, like Chris said, we're in look. We're in a fair amount of stores in this area. Uh, we've expanded to Madison, a few stores there, Woodman's, and another really cool store called Fromagination. And then we went to uh, actually right after this, we're heading to Minneapolis to drop off a delivery at Linden uh, Hills Co-op. We're also in their sister store, Wedge Co-op, up there. So that's kind of as far as we've expanded is Minneapolis West and yeah. uh, Matt. We haven't even made it in Milwaukee yet. Yeah. Just because we haven't even had the time really to drive there yeah, do yeah, sales yeah, days, yeah. right? So, because that's the thing is we do everything. We, we do the deliveries, we do the sales, we do the making of it. It's literally just me and Chris. Yeah. So, so what are your dreams? Well, I think like what we were saying earlier, the dreams would be to get to a, a spot where we can grow this business, hire people and provide a really cool uh, place to work and demonstrate that you can be a capitalist without being a greedy, horrible, awful capitalist that who sucks me, your soul. Yep, that's my dream. You, right? like, I'm not. I'm not out here saying fuck capitalism. I'm out here saying it can be done, and it can be done ethically and compassionately. I sound like a <laughs> sound like a fucking communist. No, but I mean, that, that's you know, that's my dream. Is ultimately like take what we're doing now and grow it to the point where we can do that. Well, I think it's yeah. just it's it's reorienting 
priorities. Right. You know, instead well, of putting yeah. profit first, I mean, the profit will come if first. you do the other thing. Put the people first. Exactly. Yeah. Again, right? It's like, a, like a, I always think of like FDR, his whole, one of his famous kind of like sayings was, you know, people think he like was a socialist who destroyed capitalism. And he himself would say, I saved capitalism. He was yep. a capitalist, yep. and he did save it because of all these social programs he put in. It's like capitalism has done good things. It's done bad things. I think it's the best system that we've come up with so far. But it needs to be tempered with some socialist ideas. Could, yeah, we need yeah. to just rein it back in here. Well, yeah. like, okay, one more uh, political, philosophical uh, point of view here. It's it's like any other – and capitalism isn't really a political philosophy it's a business no, it's philosophy. Philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. but but just like socialism and just like communism and just like democracy it's not the concept that is bad it is how human beings Excuse learn me, yeah. to fuck with it to benefit themselves yeah that makes it a problem well it's yeah. so cyclical too yeah. you look back at like the right before the depression and the gilded age and it's kind of like the same thing right now people had enough of it we go through this big societal change right depression war all that stuff and then, you know, here we are again. The people who are around during that time and can remember, you know, how bad it was are gone. They've passed on. So the cycle begins again. And now here we are in a part of our American history where greed is the number one kind of thing. Greed, scams. And this is like a scam economy. Everyone's out to just take your money yeah. and, and fuck you over. And now we're seeing the union stuff get huge. We're seeing workers push back. Um, it's all cyclical. If you look at like the history, it's just happening again. Yeah. And these oligarchs should just recognize it and be like, dude, if you just like aren't so greedy, we won't be talking about guillotines and pitchforks over <laughs> yeah, here. Like, it's like, let's all treat each other with respect. Yeah. Pay people well. Yeah. And just be who, good. Who needs a hundred billion dollars, yeah. dude? Like, break off each of these oligarchs needs to break off a couple billion. You know who needs a hundred billion? The guy with ninety nine billion. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's See, that's what I just said. It's all relative, right? It is all like, relative, but but yeah. Well, this has been just such a positive note to end on. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everything's fucked, but it's going to get better. Yeah, no, no, it's everything's fucked better. now, but it will get better. It'll take a few years. You know what's gonna save us? Good marmalade right. and good plum mustard. Shelf stable products, baby. Shelf stable products. Bring back marmalade. Yeah. Well, Ben and Chris, uh, Paulin's provisions. Thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us. I man. bet you thought we were just going to talk about condiments. Hey, I. This has been an awesome conversation. No, no, man. yeah. We're, I'd love to come back and we can talk more about our our philosophy and <laughs> 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 our politics. And nice to be able to talk about it, man. All right, Chris Martin and Ben Skinner of Paulin's Provisions. They are really doing some amazing things right here in La Crosse. Not just the products they put into the jars, but the way they are inspiring other people to create their businesses. So I just hope to see this sort of thinking grow and grow and grow. Thank you, Ben and Chris, for being a part of the conversation. By the way, check out their website. It's paulinsprovisions.com. They've got their whole story there. They've got their products. And uh, thank you for being a part of the conversation. I'm Ken Cooper. This is Around River City.